Welcome to the Your Houston Podcast. This is your host, Nicholas Hall. This is your co-host, Mario Castillo. How are you doing today, Mario? I'm excited for this episode. Are you sure you're not hungry? I might be a little hungry, but only because we're talking with Kelsey Reynolds from the Houston Food Bank. Uh, if you wanted to learn everything about inequality and food scarcity and food deserts and all the issues that we have and how they're so connected to so many quality of life issues, this is your episode. That's right. And be sure to like and subscribe because this is the second episode of our Pride series where we're highlighting local LGBTQ leaders in Houston and the work that they're doing in the community. Well, I'm excited to get to it. So let's bring on Kelsey. Okay, here we go. All right, it's that time. Are you ready for liftoff? I feel the liftoff. The clock has started. Roger. Kelsey, this is the part of the show where we're going we're gonna to ask you some rapid-fire questions to get the brain juices flowing, get that cognitive matter coordinated. So here we go. What's your favorite restaurant in Houston? We're going to pay for you, anyone you want to take. Where are you going to go and what are you going to order? Waffle Bus. <laughs> Hands down, my one of my favorite places. I'm so excited that they have uh, like a brick and mortar now. Um, and I'm going to get their uh, chicken sandwich and uh, definitely their waffle fries. You know it's true because of how fast the answer <laughs> was. Usually there's like some thinking it over. No, that was instant. And I've never been to Waffle Bus, so now I have to try it. I'm definitely going to go because that was commitment on Kelsey's yeah. end. That sounds like it's delicious. <laughs> it's fantastic. Quite possible. Like, I'm I'm a chicken connoisseur. Like, if it was biologically possible to grow feathers from how much chicken I eat, it, I, would have chick- I would have feathers for hair. I love chicken. It's, like, my favorite thing to eat. And it's so good there. All right. Next question. What is your dream job? Honestly, being a social media influencer, because I could just, you know, stay home and make my own schedule and just like put out content that I wanted. Um, And also being an author, working on that part. Oh, nice. That's right. I think I remember that from uh, New Leaders Council. Yep. Well, you know, maybe there's a something you can do on the social media regarding Waffle Bus and these (laughs) outside the box (laughs) places in Houston that apparently we need to know about. Uh, so we'll move on. Next question. What is one thing you've learned during the pandemic? Um, how important it is to spend quality time with the people that you have around you. Like my relationship with my fiance has blossomed since the pandemic started. And like the amount of quality time that we've gotten to spend together and how much we've learned about each other. It's, it's been beautiful. That's wonderful. I, I hope that a lot of other people have also Learned the same thing during the pandemic, being able to spend all that quality time with their significant others. Um, what is your favorite thing about Louisiana? Um, the culture in and of itself. Uh, just the it's it's the entire just like the way I grew up and and the fun and the history and how rich it is. Um, and just learning about so many different things and how you can go to like so many different places and there's still so many things you can learn and things of that nature. Yeah. It's definitely the culture. And of course the food, you can't forget that. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Food's pretty good. I can vouch for that. Uh, <laughs> so you said you'd, you'd be an author. Uh, is there a particular genre you'd write about? Um, so I actually am 
trying to write a book about uh, LGBTQ plus relationships and healthy relationships in and of that. Um, and just talking about like my life and how I grew up and my fiance's life and how she grew up and how that's impacted our relationship and how we've had to unlearn things and we're learning new things about each other and how to, you know, truly love one another in the best way that we can. So I don't really know what genre that would fall into, but that's, that's my goal right now. <laughs> I think that's a much needed book, honestly. Yeah. I can't help myself, but I have to ask one more question. What's your favorite book? Uh, oh God, that's so hard to answer. Can I go with favorite author? Cause my favorite author right now is John Grisham. Like I, I love oh, nice. his books. They're so detail oriented and I'm reading one right now. It's uh, a time for mercy. It's so good. It's phenomenal. Well, we're going to jump right into our interview here and we really appreciate you taking time uh, out of your busy schedule to chat with us. Um, we are in the middle of our pride series where we're highlighting local LGBTQ leaders and the work that they do and, uh, their history and their involvement in activism. Uh, so we want to start with learning a little more about your involvement in activism and, and nonprofits, uh, while you've been here in Houston. Yeah, so um, I started out with a, with working with the UH uh, LGBTQ Resource Center. Um, I did a lot with the Speakers Bureau and attending panels and things of that nature just to educate people about, you know, my journey um, with my gender and my sexuality. Um, I also volunteered a lot for events that happened there. They had the Mahogany Project come, and that was phenomenal. Um, and I also facilitated their trans and non-binary discussion group for about two years um, I also did some work with Transform Houston, um, and I am now the board president for Gender Infinity, um, and I'm loving every aspect of it. Yeah. Well, sounds good. Uh, next question is, what role does the Houston Food Bank play in meeting the needs of the community? So we actually do a lot of work uh, with our community, and it's not just about food distribution. Um and you can find all of this information on our website under like our, the tab that says our programs. Um, so we have CAP, with, which is the Community Assistance Program. Um, and that is basically someone meeting with people one-on-one -on -one, uh, to assist with applying for food stamps, TANF, uh, CHIP, Children's Medicaid, linking them to resources and referring them to places that they need. Uh, like I said earlier, we are also starting the Community Resource Center which it's replacing our food pantry, but it's also amping up what other areas need to be met with the community, like financial literacy and, you know, a health and wellness program, nutrition education, um, things of that nature. And the goal is to assist people um, in, in ending that cycle of poverty that they're in and having a world where we don't need a food bank anymore, where people can easily access food and we don't need to worry about it. You know, hunger is eradicated, which would be great. Um, we also have on-the-job training, which I think is fantastic. We have uh, a community kitchen program that teaches that it trains people. It's uh, I can't remember how long uh, the process is, but it, you go through this process and you end up with certificates. You can also do um, like forklift training and things of that nature. Uh, we also have our teachers aid program, which when I first started working here and I did you know HR orientation, I was like, that is so cool. It's fantastic. 
So it's usually, um, it's Title I schools that, you know, they don't have the, the funding that they need. And so we, um, once a quarter, teachers can go in and get the supplies that they need so that they don't have to spend their own money on it. Um, and it keeps them, you know, from having to spend their own money and come out of pocket for stuff that their students need, like books, pencils, like crayons, markers, things of that nature. So yeah, we do a lot. We serve 18 counties in Southeast Texas. Um, we are all over the place doing all sorts of stuff. That's such a forward-thinking approach to not just providing food, but also financial literacy and other services, and then integrating workforce training and on-the-job training into the organization. I mean, it's almost like you're trying to facilitate and trying to assist throughout all facets of of being a nonprofit. Uh, and I think I think that's wonderful. Um, is there a program for kids? to get food while school's not in session that's facilitated through the food bank? Yeah. So our, uh, our backpack buddy program, they, uh, they have several different schools that they uh, go to and they provide kids on the weekends with a backpack of food. Um, so that way they, they have food to eat over the weekend, you know, cause like mm-hmm. most kids, they go to school and that's where they eat, you know, free lunch program, all that stuff. But what do they do? after school or when it's the summer. And so we have uh, a summer meal program and there are s- certain locations um, that you, as anyone, any person, any person under the age of 18 can go. They don't need to be enrolled in school. They don't need to be part of a program and they don't have to have an, like you don't have to have an ID. Um, and it's you. we serve either breakfast, lunch, or an afternoon snack um, during the summer because we know that kids get, the majority of their food at school. And when, when it's summertime, how are they going to eat? Yep. That's a, that's a good point. Um, so, you know, the pandemics affected people differently and someone in the past that may not have needed the services of the food bank, they may be in a position now where they may qualify, but they just wouldn't think of it. So who and how can you qualify for assistance from the Houston food bank? Um, so I, it depends on what you're looking for. I know with, um, with like our distribution of like, like at our neighborhood super sites, um, if you are a, a family in need, honestly, you, I, th- I think, I can't remember fully, you would show up and have your ID and you, they would give you a box and you would just tell them how many families you're picking up for. And they would give you a box per family. Um, it wasn't really, it was more of like, this is what we have. This is what we're giving you. And it wasn't really like meeting the dietary needs of some of the people, which is something that we picked up on. Um, but it was getting food out to people that needed it. I know, um, for cap, if you are, um, like applying for food stamps, even if you work at the Houston food bank, you can go and get assistance. You just have to set up an appointment and you can do that online. Um, it's super easy. Um, I've had people like coworkers that work here that got assistance with that, with either, you know, food stamps or getting TANF taken care of, or like getting their children on Medicaid, which is also important. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of, I mean, the multiple programs that we have, there's, I don't think there's a lot of qualifications that people need to meet, which is one thing that I appreciate. Um, because we look at, it's more looking at the holistic human and their needs and what, uh, what we can do as a food bank and what programs we can have to help them. So the food bank 
really has stepped up in a big way recently with regards to the pandemic and being relied upon to feed folks who weren't working um, with the winter freeze. I know a lot of folks were in need of food because they weren't expecting to lose power for so long. Uh, And then you've also had a lot of um, attention with celebrities locally who want to partner partner and work with y'all like Alex Bregman and I believe Mattress Mac. And so there's been a lot of attention on the food bank, but also a lot of demand on the food bank. How has the organization managed that? It seems like y'all have been doing a great job at it. Yeah, it's funny. So I started, um, it's actually been a year for me working here. I started in May um, and when I started, I, I was just, I was blown away because the main way we're able to meet all of our production needs is through our volunteers. And because of COVID, we have to cut down the numbers to maintain social distancing. And so I've never seen the food bank at full capacity with volunteers of having like 600 to a thousand volunteers at once. So I'm very curious to see how that's going to work once we're, you know, we don't have to social distance as much. Cause I'm just like, wow, that's a lot of people. How this is going <laughs> to happen, you know? Um, but we actually doubled our production needs during COVID. Um, we had the National Guard come in. They worked with us for months. Um, we've had Harris County have people come in. We have uh, we had the YMCA have temp, temp uh, employees come in to help with that. Um, we've had a lot of help from the community itself so that we can meet the needs of our community members. Because, I mean, that's, that's the only way we're going to be able to do it. We need... whether you're donating your time with volunteering or donating money, like a dollar a day provides three meals when it comes to like donating your money to the Houston food bank. And that's one thing that's, that I love as well. Um, And, you know, the Texans are also a big contributor. Uh, The cafe that we have here, it's the Texans cafe. Um, We also have, you know, the local soccer teams, uh, Houston dash and dynamo. They, uh, they come out a lot. We also, I mean, like Dunkin' Donuts, they donated donuts for the, for the employees the other day. Um, we also have a lot of oil and gas companies come out to do their, uh, their team, team building exercises, like mm-hmm. corporate companies in general. And right now that's dropped off a little bit because of COVID, but it's picking back up. Um, so there's a lot of, just a lot of ways that, um, you know, people come in and they don't realize how impactful their time is when they're coming in. Cause they're able like in doing that, they provide like thousands of meals to people and they don't even realize it. Right. I, I think that's important. I mean, as a volunteer or giving financially, is there something or a, a case example, for instance, that you can point to of a story of someone who received assistance from the Houston food bank and kind of explain to the audience what type of an impact that had on their life? Yeah, so we have a lot of uh, people who receive the food that we give out. Um, a lot of it is stories from children. Uh, we have so many like pictures of, uh, you know, it's on. So on the when you come in the back where if they're like overflow parking is in the elevator, there's this drawing that a kid a kid did, and it said it says uh, it's got a stick figure, and they're holding like a banana or an orange or like I don't remember what fruit it is, but they have food in their hand, and it says. Uh, I'm, I thank you for giving me food. I'm hungry all the time. I really appreciate it. Like, I love y'all. And I'm just like, that's the sweetest thing. Like right back there, there's, I share an office with someone and that's a picture that a child drew. And like the, seeing the, the impact that we have on just, just the kids alone, because, um, 
97% of people that are experiencing, uh, but not have, that don't have enough food, they're not experiencing homelessness. That's what people don't realize. Like people have to, some people have to choose between their medication or food for that week. Some people have to choose between, do I put gas in my car or do I get food for my kids? And so that's where, like, for me, I love the Backpack Buddy program because it makes sure that children have food to eat. And we call it the Green Mile because it's how employees go to and from the parking lot. And there are three, there's three different stories. And one is of uh, an elderly gentleman who, like I just said, he had to choose between getting his medication or, or having food to eat. And having the food bank, he didn't have to worry about that anymore because of our senior box program. And we have started a process of uh, home deliveries for our senior box program. So that way people who can't like, who can't drive, they can't come and get the food, but we're starting this project to where they don't have to worry about that. And we can deliver it to them. Um, there is also a story of a mom and her two kids where she was struggling to pay her light bill or have food. And the food bank stepped up and helped with that. Like, I don't think people realize how impactful the food bank is. And I didn't realize how impactful it was until I started working here. Um, another example is we have an advocacy department. And so when food stamp benefits increase, the food bank has had a role in that. And people like, I didn't realize that. And that is one it's, it's amazing to me to see like where, how many places we can touch in our community and do things to help, you know, end poverty in so many different ways. Well, you know, we here at Your Houston, we're a local nonprofit that focuses on quality of life issues, you know, resiliency, housing, transportation, mobility. And we try to get folks engaged at the local level and, and advocate, you know, to improve their neighborhoods and their communities. But hunger is sort of like this underlying quality of life issue that if you're not really experiencing it, you're not plugged into the world of, of what those folks are going through and how much that has an impact on their quality of life. And the way that y'all are addressing it and the impact that you're having, I mean, I think it's just tremendous. Thanks. Yeah, we try really hard. <laughs> yeah, we appreciate everything you do. Um, and so... You know, I know one of the biggest issues is measuring results and demonstrating how much of an impact positive or negatively uh, the programs have on communities. So with these community resource centers, uh, is there an element of data collection uh, or are you going to be monitoring and collecting kind of the measurements as to what impact it's having on those communities locally? So we keep, we have an entire data team and we keep track of the meals we put out. We keep track of uh, the communities that, and like the different counties that we serve uh, and where they're impacted. Uh, since the community resource center is starting this month, I'm not hundred percent sure how they're going to be tracking data um, and what data they're going to be tracking, but I do know for a fact that there will be data on it. So that way, if we see any gaps, we can improve on it because that's, that's the only way that we can keep moving forward and, getting even better is with data. Are you guys going to involve the Kinder Institute in that? Cause I know that they were working on a scholarship pantry kind of model in the past. So I, I could see how this would be a good vehicle for that. Yeah, I think that would be a really good, 
medium for, for that to happen. Um, I'm not hundred percent sure, but I can, I mean, I think the de- I've not, I would definitely bring that up with the data team um, and see if that's something that they're interested in. Yeah. Kyle Shelton would be there. great. I think this is something that they would find extremely interesting. So, I mean, back with the food bank, you know, I was the former chair of the food bank. Sorry. <laughs> I wish chair of the land bank. And so we were looking at some under-resourced land or it was just not being put to its highest and best use within communities that are food deserts. And so we were really working on a scholarship pantry model where we could put the pantry locally on land bank land and actually build a bricks and mortar uh, store, if you will. And to actually collect the data as to who is receiving, you know, the, the voucher, bringing it to the local pantry and measuring then what that's having an impact on their mortgage, uh, whether or not they're in arrears with their mortgage or with their rent and, and paying things on time. And so we yeah. were always thinking through ways to really quantify and measure the results and, and kind of put those two things together um, just to show, you know, cause it's always important when someone volunteers their time or they give money to show them that there's a huge return on that investment in their community. Yeah. Yeah. That's one thing I know after a lot of the shifts, one thing that we like to tell them is, uh, how many meals it's going to make, um, and how many people are going to be impacted because it, that keeps people coming back. It's not just the, the doing it's the, it's the who and the, and the, the quantity, which is also impactful for our volunteers to keep them coming back. So for people that are listening or watching and they want to volunteer, they're interested to find out more information or even make a donation, how can they do that? So if you go to our website, uh, houstonfoodbank.org, you're going to see the tab Ways to Give, uh, and you can click on that, and it's either going to be volunteering or donate money. Uh, We also have a... um, a virtual uh, food pantry so that you can buy food to give to the food bank, which is also really cool. That started in 2020 during the pandemic. Um, so there, and there's several different ways when you click on the, you know, volunteering, let's give your time. Uh, there's a volunteer calendar. You can set up your volunteer profile. I work in volunteer services, so I know all of this from the back of my hand. If you have any questions, just go to our website and you can email me if you have any questions. Um, but we really appreciate when volunteers come in. Um, we always try to make sure that they have the best experience possible to keep them coming in. And like I said earlier, $1 a day provides three meals. Um, and that's super impactful as well. What are, uh, some examples of activities a volunteer would do if they came in? So we have several different projects that we run. It depends on what product we have coming in. Um, we have like, uh, what is the word I'm looking for? So there's pantry select, which is where they, um, they go through and they like, they clean stuff. They clean the, the product that we have that's been donated from, you know, like HEB or Target or Walmart or wherever. Um, and they'll clean it up. So that way when it's put in, when other volunteers are making, uh, the boxes of food to be given out, it's not, you know, messed up. It's not gross. It's not like, Oh my God, what is this? It's nice and fresh. Um, we also have scan a can, which is, it helps us keep track of what product we have and what product is going out. Um, a lot, it's, it's a lot of just putting things together and building boxes and making sure that we are meeting like the quote, the, the quotas that we have for the communities that we're serving. Well, it's been very informative and we thank you for your time. Uh, now is another, it's my second favorite or maybe my favorite. I don't know. Um, but you know, Houston, we've got a problem. 
So I'd like to do something differently this time. Normally we would ask you a ridiculous question and ask you to solve it within 30 seconds, but it seems like the food bank is dealing with a lot and there's a lot of issues out there within our communities. What is an issue or a problem that the food bank's currently facing? And we'll pose it to our audience. We'll ask to get comments, we'll ask to get feedback, and we'll think within our own organization. Give us the problem, give us the challenge, Kelsey. What is the problem you'd like to see solved? It's a big one, but ending poverty. Because in doing that, we become a better world. Um, Eradicating systems that are in place that are downright racist. And hunger is one of those. And like you mentioned earlier, we don't realize these things until we see it ourselves, until we're in, we've experienced it, or we see it from the communities that we're serving. And so I think really ending poverty and eradicating, you know, food scarcity is one of the ways that we can do that. We'll try to work on the poverty issue. I don't know if we're going to have much (laughs) success solving that problem specifically, yeah, it's going to take time with uh, that more one. More stimulus checks for everyone. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we'll just advocate for that. Just continuing stimulus checks. I'm here for another stimmy check. <laughs> <laughs> well, we really appreciate you taking time to speak with us and for all the work that you do at the food bank, managing, recruiting for volunteers. That's, that's always uh, a challenge, but I think that folks who do show up are put to work and, and really feel the impact of the work that they're doing. Yeah. Thanks for having me all. Can't say it enough. I always say it's the greatest food bank in the entire country. And it really is. I won't argue you on that one. <laughs> it really is. I, 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 I mean, it's just phenomenal facilities, phenomenal staff, phenomenal everything. And I think when everybody within the community wants to give so much to the food bank, that really is representative of just how great of an organization that you truly are. Thanks. So uh, now we're just going to be informal, but going back to this poverty question, what's something specifically? So our nonprofit, you know, kind of works and coordinates between the different nonprofits because there's so many that are just stuck in these silos. Yeah. Is there anything that you would like to see or the food bank would like to see within the nonprofit space to kind of streamline those inefficiencies and reduce any redundancies? I think, and when I was working at the Salvation Army, this is one thing that, um, they had started, which was excellent. Um, their coordinated access with housing, um, you went, they had specific locations where you could get assessed for housing. And I think having more of those, having areas where people can go that are more accessible to them when it comes to, you know, transportation in and of itself, like the buses don't go everywhere. The light rails don't go everywhere. Um, so having more locations where people can access food and having more community gardens and teaching people, you know, this is what we're trying to grow. This is how it can be used in your home. Um, and nutrition education is a big one because I mean, we don't, when we give people boxes of food, we don't just give them boxes of boxes of food, expecting them to know what to do with it. We make sure that there's recipes in there so that they know what they can make with it or, you know, things of that nature. Um, and I think having, having more of that, we just need, we need more. <laughs> um, and getting those nonprofits that are siloed, I think having a broader network um, so that everybody is aware of what's going on, I think that's the biggest thing. And I think when that happens, 
Hopefully it becomes a more well-oiled, smooth machine so people know where to send people um, because it's hard. And this is my perspective as a social worker, you know, having to network and find all of these connections. And that takes up time where I could be serving people in another way instead of having to network and say, okay, I know where to send this person for this. I know where to send that person for this. When why don't I just have a list that's given to me already? Why isn't that widely produced so that I don't have to tell people, people can know where it is themselves. I think just communication overall. Yeah. We need a, a contact list and organizational chart that shows every organ. I actually asked Mario this the other day. I said, is you there did. a list of every C3, C4 political action committee, any nonprofit within the city and who their board members are and who their staff is and whether or not there's any, if there's a Venn diagram, like any overlapping between those organizations, because so much time is spent running a nonprofit, just educating other nonprofits about your own nonprofit and learning about their nonprofit. <laughs> yeah, yes. That is so true. And so if we could just have a Facebook type thing, not the program Facebook, but you know, something that shows us the stats, kind of a manual, and we spend some time educating ourselves on every single nonprofit and ways that we can all work together to break down these silos. Because uh, Houston's yeah. so large, you know, so many communities, there's also so many organizations. And really, it's just a matter yeah. of, you know, funneling these resources within these communities and working together between all of these organizations. It's just the inefficiencies. So, and I do, I, we're going to, we're going to wrap this up in a second, but I just think I came up with the next, next thing for the Houston Food Bank. I know that Lyft and Uber have, have contributed in the past to kind of bring meals to people within their communities or bring food boxes to people within the communities. I think what we need to do, and tell me what you think about this, we need to work with their software development teams, not a ride share app, but a food share app. Where I'm here for it. We can get the food bank their own <laughs> fleet of vehicles and they're out there delivering these meals to the people in need. Well, I mean, we do already have a transportation department, so I can just talk to, you know, the director of that and go from there <laughs> from there. I mean, honestly, because that's a genius idea. Just need and that. that's part of like an the app. home delivery project that yeah. Yeah. started with the senior box program during COVID because I mean, they're elderly people, they're at risk. Like they can't go out and pick up like they usually can. Some of them right. don't even drive anymore. Yeah. And so that's, that's part of it. And I mean, like that's also where the neighborhood super sites came in, but this is different because it can definitely bring the food to the people. And when it's at a time that's convenient for them and not like out of their way of like work or like having to wait and take off work for food. Well, and you can track the metrics. You can get the data. You'll have it within your software housed within your own database of where that food's going and how regularly. Um, There's just so many ways you can quantify it and measure it as results. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I just came up with that idea. You're you're full of the great ideas today. Yeah. Sometimes I fall (laughs) and hit my head in the shower and I just come up with these things. Today it just (laughs) happened, you know, during this, this discussion. So thank you for your time, Kelsey. You've done a great job. Yes. Thank you so much. By the way, I dig your hat. Thanks. I've had it for like five years. It's one Where of my did favorites. you get it? Because I'd like it. Target. Oh. Target. There you go. Target. There you go. <laughs> you know, I despise. I cannot. Oh, when I was growing up as a kid, Sally Hall, my mom, would take me to Target. And she was a small town. And uh, she would run in. I mean, she, was, she ran a daycare out of our house. And so she knew everybody. And that meant that her son, little boy, would have to sit there 
through 45 minute hour long conversation in Target. And for a little boy, there's not much to really keep your attention when you're in like the clothes department. So I would just go play hide and seek. I'd go like disappear and go to those clothes racks, mm-hmm. you know, maybe go get some okay, micro machines and, you know, I just play, you know, so that's, that was my life. Cause like my mom uh, is a retired school teacher and her parents were also retired school teachers and admin. And so every time we went somewhere, she, she knew, she knew everybody. She never met a stranger. And so I would literally in the same boat, I'm like, can we go now? Can we go? Can we go? And there was one time I was playing hide and seek and my mom had to call code Adam. Oh <laughs> no. They need to have playgrounds within these places. I'm telling you. They, they should. Need to have, they have adult playgrounds. You can go play the video games or the, you know, iPads or whatever, but they need to have actual little playgrounds for the kids because they're the ones that suffer. They do. I suffered a lot at Foley's as a kid when my mom would go there and I would be in just hiding in the clothes racks, playing hide and seek with myself, what playing Power Rangers by myself, whatever. Maybe that's our where we learn to be creative, you know, <laughs> entertain ourselves. So, all right. Thank you. Have a good day. Thanks. Thank you, you too. Thank you so much for spending time with us, Kelsey, and sharing all that great information. There's so much synergy between the Houston Food Bank and your Houston, and we look forward to being a good partner with you, to you and your organization moving forward. Hey, and if you're new to the show, please like and subscribe. If you're a longtime viewer of the show and you have not subscribed, the button's down below. Please push it. And leave us a comment. We like to get your feedback, and we like to thank you for your viewership. And until next time. This has been another episode of Your Houston, the show and organization where you make a difference.